Well, welcome to Rockbridge. Welcome if you're joining us online or any of our six physical locations. My name is Matt and excited that you're here. Join however you're joined with us. Uh, you're not here by accident and we believe God's got something for all of us this weekend at Rockbridge Community Church. So we are starting a new series today. So this is a great time to be with us and to plug in. We're going to be going through the life of this prophet in the Old Testament named Elisha. That's in the, found in the book of 1 Kings. But before we get there. This series is called A New Normal and either interact online, type this into your screen or into your chat room or you can raise your hands if you're with us physically. How many people honestly thought that by now we would sort of be back to normal? Yeah, there's a majority of hands up in the room and, and online. You can type that in your, your response. I mean, by now, I thought we would be looking forward to football season. Now we don't even know uh, by the time school started back, and we don't even know how we're going to start back school in some cases, that we would sort of be back to normal. And, and that's really not happened. And I think there's probably some tension, some frustrations that we all feel because life as we know it has sort of been interrupted. Now, here's the challenge. If I I say these words to you in relation to money or like a new car or a house, we get excited. More, different, better, and new. I mean, new house, more money, better day, better job, uh, different set of circumstances. I mean, that kind of excites us, right? The challenge, though, there's an, there's an unless. Unless the new and unless the different affects what's comfortable for you, what's familiar to you, what you know as far as this is the way we've always done this or that, this is the tradition I love, and all of that, and all of that may have been sort of disrupted by this normal or this new normal that we find ourselves in. And I'm convinced that if, you, if you're anything like me, you're sort of frustrated by this, or there's tension, or there's uncertainty, or we're not sure what to do, what to make of it, because no one's ever really lived through anything like we're living through right now. And, and, and even if you just take the fact that we have a recession, we have a pandemic, we've been dealing with the issue of race, and we're in the middle of a presidential election year, and you add all that stuff up, and that creates uncertainty and anxiety, and we're like, God, what do we do, and how do we live inside of this new normal. Not to mention life happens to you. And whether that's diagnosis, whether that's job job questions or financial problems or you got a marriage problem and, and you got a, or you got an issue with God or you're, you're trying to grow spiritually, you're trying to overcome a habit, a hurt or a hang up, all of that added together and we're like, I'm not sure what to do with new normal. Now into that, I just want to share some truths about God in hopes that we can begin to recognize something together in part one of this new normal series. The first truth is this. God's normal often seems new to us. That God's normal for you, when we talk about God's will for you, God's plan for you, it will often seem new, unfamiliar, and uncomfortable. Because Part of God's normal often requires you or and me to give God the steering wheel of our life or of our marriage, of our day, of our money, or of whatever we've yet to give him, give him the steering wheel of. Part of God's normal calls you and I to deeper levels of experience and intimacy with him, which can feel new and unfamiliar. So this is just a principle for the way God works. 
So we have to start to think, okay, could this new normal that didn't surprise God, could this new normal that didn't catch God off guard, could this be a part of what God is inviting or encouraging or trying to move us into? Here's another truth that's somewhat related to this truth. God's plan A for you sometimes looks and feels like God's plan B to me. In other words, what God envisions for you, what God wants for you, his plan A, to you and I, it feels like plan B because we were like on our own plan A and that didn't work out or that got disrupted or that got interrupted or, or that normal is gone as we know it. And then God is going to offer to many of us through this series a plan B, but it's really to us as a plan B. To him, it's been his plan for us all along. Now, if you take those truths together, I believe it starts to give us some hope, some optimism, and, some, and to some, some perspective with which to view this new normal. Because here's the deal. Because of these truths I've just shared, life as we know it will often be disrupted. And that could be actually God trying to move us to his plan A for us. That could be God trying to move us to his best for us. That could be God trying to get our attention. In fact, the more you walk with God, you'll go through a pattern like this. Comfort, discomfort, and then a new level of comfort and rest. And then the cycle will repeat itself. The cycle will repeat itself. And that's a pattern of how God grows us, God changes us, God calls us, God moves within us. And so what we want to see through this series is this. That life's disruptions that shake our familiar, that shake our normal, that shake our tradition, that shake our routine, that shake our, this is the way we've always done it, are really and truly God's invitations and if we would learn to be less bothered by the disruption and more open to saying yes to the invitation, then your everyday becomes an exciting adventure of following a living God, of following a God who loves you forever and wants the best for you forever. Now here's the challenge though. On the way to go from disruption to invitation, there's a little detour that we have to take. And this detour is we have to deal with what it, when I say it, the disruption reveals. So to get to this invitation, we're probably going to have to deal with something in our lives. A wrong view of God, a misplaced identity, a hurt that's never fully healed, a habit that we haven't qu quite broken free of. So we're going to have to deal with something. And so what we're going to do is we're going to journey in this, the transition period from one prophet, the prophet Elijah, to the prophet Elisha. And both of these individuals in the passage we're going to look at today, we're going to see the detour, we're going to see the disruption. And I, you're going to hear three invitations that I think God still has for you and I today. Uh, they come out through the text, through the story as we know it. And so I am praying that God gives every single person tuning in, watching, viewing, participating here this weekend. I'm praying at least one of these invitations you will say yes to. And you don't even know what they are, but they are from God. We find them in his word and they're for you, for you to move forward with hope, with optimism that God's plan A will look like plan B often to you, but God knows better than us and wants better for us than often we want for ourselves. That's the hope we bring. That's the hope our God has for us. So let's join these two individuals. We'll start 
coming out of the, the ministry of Elijah and move into the ministry of Elisha. First Kings chapter 19, we'll start reading. So Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. So in the previous chapter, there's this massive spiritual victory where Elijah, the prophet of Yahweh, the true God, defeats and overcomes the false demonic prophets of Baal. It's like he spiritually, Elijah has just won the Super Bowl. It's a mountaintop experience. It's an unrepeatable historical event that occurred. And it is just a mountaintop moment where God is so real, God is so powerful, God is so amazing, and Elijah receives and showcases the victory and the dominance of God over false gods. But then this Jezebel lady, she's, she's not a great character, and so she does this. She sent a messenger to Elijah saying, May the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. So she promises, Elijah, I'm coming for you. I am going to kill you. And so this is Elijah's disruption. It comes in the form of fierce political and military opposition. That's, his, that's Elijah's disruption. I don't know how your disruption is, whether it's just related to the pandemic or the economy or something else going on in your life. But you see people in the Bible didn't have perfect circumstances. They lived in a broken, imperfect world just like you and I do. And let's learn from them and see what God would say to us through them. So here's his disruption. Now here is Elijah's response. Now you would think... That if you had just had a Super Bowl experience with God, you would be like, hey, bring it on, Jezebel. But here's what happens. Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. Even though he just had seen how powerful God is. Even though he had just witnessed how gracious God was to his people. He fears Jezebel is more powerful than God in this moment, in this disruption. And he runs not to God. He actually runs away from God and away from God's call. And he runs for his life. And then when he came to Beersheba that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there. So he goes off by himself. But he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. This is how bad it is. He's moving into absolute despair and what we might even call a form of depression. He says to God, he says, I have had enough. I can't take it anymore. I, I, I believe many of us, some of you, you're there right now. Some, so is Elijah. And he says, God, take my life. For I'm no better than my ancestors. I'm stuck. I'm being overlooked. Things are not working out in my view of how my plan for my life ought to go. Then he lay down and he slept under the broom tree. Now, let's take a snapshot of Elijah's condition. And I think we can, so many of us can relate. Elijah is discouraged and depressed and he feels defeated. He's discouraged, depressed, he feels defeated despite the victory he just had. He has spiritual amnesia, he's lost perspective. He's also going in the opposite direction from God and his word because his ministry is there in the area of Jezebel and Ahab and the prophets. 
And most significantly, he's lost his vision of God. And he's lost his sense of fight. See, life is a battle. There's spiritual battles. This world is broken. And Elijah, who was just in the fight the previous day, is now taking himself out of the fight. Elijah, who had seen with his own eyes and heard with his own prayers how God is bigger than Jezebel, bigger than false gods, he loses. And God becomes small. His problems become big. And so Elijah enters into this cycle or this downward spiral that many of us might find ourselves in and we feel stuck. In fact, here's, a, here's just a diagram of spiritual depression, which maybe we haven't done a great job in, in the church in America of acknowledging this reality. And, and maybe our answer to this has been too much of a Christian cliche or too much of, hey, just get over it and get, get on with your life. But let's look at this and maybe this speaks to some, where some of us are. First, there's disappointment. You see in Elijah the disappointment that he's being opposed so viciously, so violently. There's discontentment that with his situation, with his circumstances. There's discontentment with God. And he begins to despair. And then he's moved into some destructiveness where he's cynical, he's bitter. And he even says, God, I'm ready to die. Now, the question for all of us is, okay, what does God do? And what's going to happen? But before we get to God's response, let's look at some contributing causes to Elijah's condition that this disruption has caused, and let's look at the primary cause. Because remember what I said. There's an invitation that's coming. Any disruption that God allows, God causes, brings a divine invitation. But there's a detour because the disruption often reveals something inside of us, in our soul, in our character, in our mental maps, in how we view the world, in our perspective, that God has to correct or deal with or heal first. So here's the contributing causes that, that cause Elijah to move in this downward direction. He's drained physically. It says he just fell asleep. So he's exhausted emotionally and spiritually. He's poured out, poured out, and, never, and hasn't been poured into, hasn't been replenished. He's, he's disappointed. He's disappointed with what God has done. He's disappointed in, in the circumstances of his life. And then he isolates himself. He withdraws. He leaves his servant. So there's nobody there to pick him up. There's nobody there to give correction to his perspective. And he's alone. And so if you ever find yourself in these three areas, you are in danger of moving downward and moving away and, and maybe missing the invitation of God. But the primary cause... That God's going to have to deal with over the next several verses and interactions. Is he began believing half-truths. Or he began believing lies. He began believing that this situation was so bad, he should just die. He, he began believing that his ministry was futile. His life was, was parentally frustrated. And all of it's a half-truth. See, see, a lot of us, you know, we, we, we would say, hey, I'm a realist. And, and we're, we're negative and we're, we're problematic and everything is a problem and everything's a down situation. And, and, and so there's some truth to that. Yeah, the situation that Elijah's in is not great. Politically, militarily, Jezebel's out to get him. It's not great. But here's the hope that we have. No matter how bad it is, there's a positive 
positive always greater than the negative. And the positive for the Christian that's always greater than the negative is there is an empty tomb in Jerusalem. Jesus rose from the dead and Jesus is a life giver and Jesus has overcome our greatest enemy. So there's always a positive greater than the negative. So often we dwell on the half truth of what's bad, what's wrong, what's gone, what's disrupted and we miss the full and complete truth of who God is and that God always is moving us to better and best. And Elijah's lost all that. And maybe many of us have too. So we got to deal with that before we hear and receive and get to the invitations of God. Now, if I were to stop right here and just say, hey, how do you think God responds? I think if we're all incredibly honest, a lot of us would say, God would probably scold me. Or, or God would probably say, just get on with your life. No big deal. He, he might quote Romans 8, 28, right? And, and throw, you know, or, or, or say, hey, pick yourself up and get going, soldier. I mean, what would God say? And what God does is absolutely amazing and instructive and hopeful. Because he finds Elijah in this spot. This bad spot of depression and despair and disappointment and defeat. And look what he does. He sends an angel. And the angel touched him physically. The angel told him, get up and eat. We've got to take care of your body. You're exhausted. You're drained. And then he looked and there at his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones. And there was a jug of water. And so he ate and drank and lay down again. Read this story on your own. Notice how many times Elijah sleeps. Listen, sometimes some of the most, one of the most spiritual things you can do Go to bed, take a nap. Don't do that right now while I'm talking. But sometimes that's what, that's what you need to do. You don't need another sermon. You don't need a verse. Just take a nap. Just because you and I are not just physical beings. We're not just spiritual beings. It's not just a psychological issue. We are psychosomatic, right? It's all connected. And what you see is God will minister to Elijah in all of those areas. So powerful, right? So powerful. And then the angel of the Lord returned for a second time and touched him physically. And he said, get up and eat or the journey will be too much for you. So he got up, ate and drank. And then on the strength of that food, he walked 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, which is the mountain of God. He entered a cave there. And what does he do again? He goes to sleep. So what you see God do is three things. He sends or provides an angel of rest. He listens and he's going to give Elijah a fresh word. And so listen, wherever you are in dealing with disruption, God will meet you where you are. I want you to write that down or tattoo that somewhere. Wherever you are, no matter how you got there, God will always meet you where you are and minister to you as you are. See, some of us, we believe a lie or a half-truth or a lie. And the lie is this. I've got to get my act together before God will have anything to do with me. That is satanic. That is a lie. And it causes us to miss God and his invitations to us. So after God restores Elijah physically, after God builds him up, he's going to give him a word. And here's what it says going into verse 9. It says, suddenly, 
the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? So, so in other words, Elijah, you're not where you're supposed to be, but God still meets him there. Now, now Elijah, perspective-wise, psychologically, emotionally, he's still not there yet. He's still not over it. He still hasn't dealt with the issues, right? But, but God hears him. He says, well, God, I have been very zealous for the Lord. I've been zealous for the Lord God. But the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And he says, I alone am left. He's wrong about that, but that's his perspective. He's believing half-truths and lies. And they are looking for me to take my life. So Elijah's perspective, it's, it's become very eye-focused. His eyes are off God. His eyes are on himself and on, him, on his circumstances, which is always a recipe for discouragement and confusion spiritually. And, and he just says, I'm, I'm a left. I'm the only left. And, and the things just don't look good for me. But you go back to what God says in the beginning. He says, hey, Elijah, what are you doing here? And so the first invitation that we all need to hear is we need to get back into position. Now, now this is not the position of, hey, I've got to get back to work necessarily. I've just got to get in a position where I can have a vibrant relationship with God. I've got to get into a position where God and I are connected and close. It's like Jesus said in John 15, 5, one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Elijah has detoured and walked and moved apart from God. So a question many of us need to ask right now is this. Am I in a blessable position? Am I in a usable position where God can actually minister to me, bless me, and use me for my purpose and use me for his purposes? Now God, remember what I said earlier, God will meet you where you are. God will meet you in the ditch. God will meet you in your sin. God will meet you when you run away from him. That's the lesson of this story. God comes to you where you are, as you are, but he doesn't want to leave you there because he's got more for you. He's got better for you. Yes, it's new. Yes, it's unfamiliar. Yes, it goes through the curves and the valleys of discomfort and and, and uncertainty, but it's always more. It's always better because it's always from God. So are we in that position? If not, would you hear that invitation? To just turn back to God. See God bigger than your problems. See God more than you see yourself. And into that, God invites something very powerful to happen to Elijah. So he says, Elijah, why are you here? We got to get back in position. But he says this. He says, look, I want you to go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. Now, don't miss this. Most of us want to change in circumstances. But what God wants to give you most of all is an experience of his presence. Because when you experience his presence, your circumstances may not change, but you will have changed. And you will move forward knowing God is with you, God is for you, God is in you. So he says, I want to give you the gift of my presence. Not, not this mental, uh, oh yeah, that, I believe in God. God's up there. God's out there somewhere. I want to give you, Elijah, the gift, the special awareness and experience of my presence. 
I don't know what kind of Christianity you've heard of. I don't know what kind of Christianity you grew up with. But one encounter with the manifest special presence of God has enough healing power, has enough recalibrating power to push us forward through the storm, through the unfamiliar, through the new, and into the best that God has for us in this season of our lives. So Christianity is not just, oh yeah, I believe in God. Christianity is I can personally experience and encounter God. But look at what this encounter looks like. So at that moment, the Lord is going to pass by. And a great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. See, a lot of us think, man, when God really speaks or God really shows up, it's got to be flash and bang and smoke and all this kind of, oh, you know, shock and awe. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. So where's God? After that, there was a voice, a soft whisper. If you read that in the original Hebrew, it will say, God was in the sound of the silence. The quiet, still, intimate, personalized whisper, voice. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Which brings us to the second invitation, which is just to experience and enjoy the presence of God. To experience, to enjoy the presence of God. And one of the things I wish for every person listening, no matter where you are or how you're doing, is that you would not miss the invitation just to encounter God personally. Where you know that you know that you know. God touched you. God whispered to you. God spoke to you. God ministered to you. It'll look different than what happened with Elijah. But it'll be no less powerful. No less refreshing. No less renewing. Now I want us to see something that's very important. You see what helped Elijah tune in to the voice of God? Stillness. Solitude. Sabbath rest. And I, I say Sabbath rest as a principle versus a day. The principle that we're just going to set aside time to reconnect with God. That during the week or during busy, crazy seasons, we tend to work ourselves out of position. And we tend to work ourselves into a frequency where we cannot hear, connect with God. Our radios get out of tune. Our antennas get out of alignment. And we can't experience God. And so what you need to see in this story that we can apply to our lives today is Elijah was in a season where he was unrushed. See, God may have disrupted your life just to slow you down enough so you would hear the sound of him in the sheer silence. See, many of us, we don't even know how to do these things. And when these things are going off in our lives, we're like, wow, something's wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong. Maybe something's right. Maybe there's an invitation in that. Maybe God disrupted your pace to reshape your perspective so you could sense his presence. What a gift of God. What a gift of God. What a need for our souls. 
Now, God's not done ministering to Elijah. There's one more invitation, and we'll hear that as we move forward in the text. So suddenly a voice came to him again. So he gets another word. This time it is not, it is not the angel talking. It's directly God speaking to him. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Repeats the question. I have been very zealous for the Lord God of armies. He replied, he's going to repeat his answer. But the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, which God's going to say, no, there's still 7,000 faithful to me. And they're looking for me to take my life. And what's amazing is what God says next. God doesn't, God doesn't acknowledge any of this. He just zips right on past it as if this doesn't deserve any attention. I don't even have to give you an explanation because these are all lies or half-truths. Because God says to him, he says, look, go and return by the way you came. Get back in the game. Get back in the fight. Go back to the wilderness of Damascus. Notice, notice what happens. He says, you've encountered my presence, so go. You see, presence, the presence of God is fuel for the future. The presence of God is what will move you forward through your new normal, no matter how uncomfortable, how unfamiliar it is, knowing that God is with you, knowing that God's got better best for you in mind. His presence is that fuel. And then he starts to unpack to Elijah a new assignment. Now, now here, here's what's remarkable about this. Here, the new assignment shows up in the last part of verse 15 first part, and in verse 16. Here's what's remarkable about this. Most people say, no, no, God, I'm not ready for something new. I'm not ready for something new. I'm not ready for something new. And God's like, no, you've encountered my presence. And when I fill you up, I intend to pour you out. Which is why we're talking about all of us in this new normal, joining a team Becoming part of hope, be the hope.cc, getting involved in serving, getting involved in praying. And a lot of us are saying, no, 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 I'm not ready. I'm going through something. Maybe God has, maybe part of God's healing and refreshing is for you to redeploy yourself, maybe on a different platform, maybe in a different way, maybe with a new assignment. And look, look what he gives Elijah, this new assignment. He says, when you arrive, when you go back the way you came, you are to anoint Haziel as king over Aram. You are to anoint Jehu as king over Israel, as the prophet. That's his, well, part of his role. And, and this is who we're going to zero in on in the next part of the series, and Elisha as the prophet in your place. So I want you, Elijah, to begin investing in the next generation. I want you to begin preparing your succession plan. I want you to become a mentor for this prophet, Elisha. In other words, I want you to go bless some other people. One of the greatest things you can do is if you're stuck in disappointment and despair, is hear God's invitation to get back in position, hear God's invitation to experience his presence, and then go out and let God use you to bless other people. See, I, I want you to understand something. There's always, when we serve other people, when we, when we get involved in hope, when we get involved in prayer, when we get involved in ministry, when we treat our work as a mission field instead of a paycheck place, when we do all those kind of things, we, under, we begin to understand the double blessing of an assignment from God. There's a blessing to us. It helps us move past ourselves, move past our problems, and get a new and larger perspective. And the double blessing is this. Maybe some, my yes to God Maybe someone else's blessing depends upon my saying yes to God. You ever think because you say no to God in terms of serving and being the hope, or you say no to God, that hey, when I go to work, I'm just going to keep my head down, take my paycheck when it comes, and move on, and you miss the opportunity to bless. Do you ever think, maybe I'm withholding something from somebody else? What if Elijah says no to this? Three people miss out on God's assignment for them. 
three people miss out. Because God blesses us so we can be a blessing to other people. I want to say this based on the authority of Word of God. Every one of us, part of your new normal, and call, it calls figuring out how to be a blessing to other people. So Elijah, what does he do? He left. He goes back. And he goes and finds Elisha. He says yes. And he finds Elisha as he was plowing. Here's the third invitation. So Elijah is plow, Elisha is plowing with 12 teams of oxen. That means Elisha is rich and he's technologically advanced in this Aryan agricultural society. So these 12 teams of oxen were in front of him and he was working with the 12th team. Elijah walked by him and threw his mantle over him. This would be symbolic of saying, hey, I am choosing you to be with me, to learn from me, to be my protege. Elisha left the oxen, ran to follow Elijah. He said, please let me kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow you. And Elijah says, go on back. He replied, for what have I done to you? And that's just sort of an idiomatic expression to say, saying kind of like, you do what you need to do. So he turned back from following, and look what he does. He took the team of oxen, his livelihood, his part of his wealth, and he slaughtered them. And then with the oxen's wooden yoke and plow, he cooked the meat, and he gave it to the people, and they ate. Those was a party for his workers. And then he left, he followed Elijah, and he served him. Elisha, this is no turning back at this point. He does not know what the future holds. He doesn't need to know to say yes to God. I want to say this to you. You do not need to completely understand where things are going to be five days, five months, five years from now in order to say yes to God today. And what we see in Elisha is an unconditional surrender and acceptance to the call of God. Because let's say three days down the road, it gets difficult. Let's say three days down the road, it gets hard. What's Elisha going to go back to? Nothing. Because he knows God has invited him forward into a new normal that will always be better than the old. So the third invitation is this. To move forward in faith, which requires moving past the past. See, see, one of the things is this. Both Elijah and Elisha had to get past their past. Elisha was a new career, a new calling. Elijah had to get past his fear of Jezebel. And, and the question for all of us is this. When I say in complete faith, here's what I mean. The only evidence you have to take that next step forward is just a word from God. Just a word from God. Now, there might be no ooey-gooey feeling in your stomach, in your gut. There might be no aha moment. It's just a word from God, which is leave, stay, move, adjust, just a word from God. And if you look at this story in totality, if you look at this story in totality, Elijah has two words, right? The word of Jezebel or the word of God. Which will he say yes to? 
which will carry more weight. See, many of us, we have competing voices in our head today. The voice of the enemy, the voice of the Jezebels, which speak to fear, which speak to self-preservation, which speak to insecurity, which speaks to pain and heartache. Recognize that voice and know it's not the voice of the God who loves you most. So, here's the question. For Elijah, will he be held back by fear? No. For Elisha, will he hold on to what's comfortable and familiar, which is driving oxen? Or will he move forward with God? So here's my question to all of us. Which invitation is the loudest and clearest to you right now? That you need to move back into position to relate to God, hear from God, and enjoy God. That you need to just experience the presence of God. That you need to move forward in faith. Move past your past. Move forward in faith. Believing that the best is yet to come. Now here's what gives all of us great hope and even a better perspective than Elisha or Elijah. God looked down from heaven and saw all of us out of position. In sin, doing our own thing, driving with the steering wheel and clearly in our hands. Driving ourselves in the ditch, driving ourselves away from God. And God left his position in heaven and took on human flesh to enter into our human condition. And then God took our position on the cross, dying in our place to show us how much he truly loves us. And then he rose again from the dead to show us that he makes a victory and a power available to us. So there is not one person alive today that cannot say, with God as my leader, with God as my savior, the best is yet to come. Why would any of us not say yes to him today? Let's pray together, church. God, I love you because you first loved me. I pray we've heard from you right now. The heard the invitations. And that, God, there's yeses all over. And that you would direct our next steps with you and for you. God, let us not miss you in the disruption, but let us hear the invitation to move forward in faith, believing in you, trusting in you, leaving the past behind that we might enslave or enshackle us or just simply keep us from your best. And, God, I pray that today all of us move forward. With you as our king, you as our leader, you as our healer, you as our restorer. This we pray, God, in the mighty name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.